I'm always excited when we launch a new series. Uh, it's, there's just something uh, exciting about it as a pastor when you, when you pray into and think about and dream up and research and see connections and package that together in a series of things that, that God would want to say to a community of believers. Uh, to launch that is always an exciting thing. And, and as we start today uh, on a new series, I want to I refer to some words of Jesus from back in Matthew chapter 5. You can turn to page 1501 in the Pew Bibles if you want. Want to, um, but we will put this one on the screen behind me. Um, Jesus said in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, He said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And this idea we come up with for salt of the earth people. And before refrigeration was a thing, salt was a very important commodity. It had two main functions in, in its use with food. The first was to be savory. It, it actually brings out the flavor. If you get the right amount of salt on a steak, it just makes the flavor of that steak so much better. Or vegetables or, or whatever you put salt on. If you don't get too much, it just draws out the very best. And it has a savory quality to it. But it also has a preservative quality. That salt goes into the meat and draws the moisture out of the meat and causes the meat to not then become contaminated or or to begin to decay. So salt has two functions. But in order for it to work, it's got to be salty and it's got to be in the meat to preserve it. And that's much the way that we as Christians, Jesus didn't say you ought to be. He said you are the salt of the earth. That we as believers have a preservative quality that pre- prevents decay and contamination. But we also have a savory quality. that We have to be bringing out the best of the world around us. And in order for that to happen, we have to be in the world. Paul talks about being in it, not of it. Being in the world, but not of the world. So as long as we're salty and as long as we're mixed in, you see, sometimes there's this idea that Christians ought to withdraw completely from culture and have nothing to do and be totally separate and apart. And how are we going to influence it? How are we going to have that savory quality or that preservative quality if that's the case? Yet we also have to be salty. We have to be different. We can't be the same as. We have to be different and we have to be high quality. Otherwise, he says, we're good for nothing. we just thrown out on the ground. And, and that actually points back to a time when there was really low solid quality salt. They would find a salt mine, and they'd begin mining it because it was a little salty, and they'd find that it was mostly gypsum or mostly other minerals, and it wasn't all that salty, and it would not make the meat taste better. It wouldn't make anything better. And the only thing they could do was throw it on the ground to keep the weeds down because it would at least make the soil more alkaline so that weeds couldn't grow. And so that's what that literally is referring to. And as we start a new series, titled Heavenly Minded and Earthly Good, we're talking about this idea that we have a preservative and a savory quality in the world around us, that we are to be heavenly minded and earthly good. We can't withdraw completely. We can't be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. That's a quote that is originally attributed to Oliver Wendell Holmes. And he said it not as a compliment to somebody. He said, well, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You're so heavenly minded off in the clouds that you're not doing any good here on earth. And then Johnny Cash picked it up and put it in a Johnny Cash song. And uh, it became a little bit more popular. But it was originally attributed to, to him. And I think that we can be so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good too. So in this series, we're going to be discovering from the book of Colossians chapter 3, where Paul starts this chapter out with how we are to set our minds and our hearts on the things above, to be heavenly minded 
And then he spends the rest of the chapter talking about how we can be earthly good in different areas of our lives. So that is our premise. That's where we're going, and I'm excited about it. But before we do that, I want to bring a couple of real salt-of-the-earth people up here um, for uh, just a moment. Pastor Keith, if you would come back up one more time, and uh, his wife, Sandra. Uh, We are so delighted that Keith and Sandra have uh, made Linwood Church their home and that Keith has joined us in the area of pastoral care and ministering to seniors. And uh, they also, in the meantime, um, are part of our, our global reach here at Linwood and throughout the Wesleyan Church. And uh, they are going to be, come on over here where everybody can see you. Uh, they are going to be traveling back to Nepal. They've been there several times in the last year or so. And they are going to be uh, working with pastors there and raising up leaders and continuing the work of establishing the Wesleyan Church in the country of Nepal. And we are so excited. And this church has given generously to the translation of the Old Testament into the Nepalese language in some audio Bible format, which is just phenomenal to think that, that Linwood had a huge part in that. And you are an extension of us. And so uh, they'll be leaving on the 19th. They won't be here on the 19th. They'll be here next week, I believe. And then they'll be gone on the 19th and uh, will return on September 10th. So I want to encourage you to make note of that in places where you'll see it and pray for Keith and Sandra and God's work in Nepal. Let's pray for them before they go back and sit down. You can just reach out and extend a hand if you agree with this prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Keith and Sandra, for their ministry, uh, both to this church and its season of transition, to this area of eastern South Dakota as their career um, pastoral uh, ministry in Mitchell. We thank you for their work now with world uh, missions through the Wesleyan Church and, and raising up church leaders in Nepal. And the fruit that you're going to bear from the work that they are doing is just phenomenal. And we're grateful to be a part of it. So we send them with blessing. We send them with prayers. We send them with requests that you would uh, be with them in their coming and their going, that you would protect them and preserve them, that you would establish the work of their hands and it would bear much fruit for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. All right. So... Get out your Bibles, and uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles on the seats in front of you. They're just in those little wire shelves under there. It's really important that you have a copy of God's Word in front of you. If you brought one with you, great. If you have one on a phone or a tablet, that's fine too. If you don't, there is one. If you're sitting in the front row, there's Bibles on the ends of each row. Uh, but it's really important that you have a copy of God's Word open, because we're not going to put it on the screen. We really want you to dig into this. And I'm excited about this uh, series, partly because it is a verse-by-verse teaching through a passage of Scripture. And I just love the way God's Word comes alive when we look long and lovingly into it and see what it has to say to us today. So I'm going to read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. If you've got one of those hardcover Bibles, this is on page 1834. You can follow along. I've got the same translation here. But if you have a different translation, that's fine. The best translation of the Bible is the one you read every day and incorporate into your lives. Pick one and run with it and, and let God speak to you through it. So uh, this, this passage and really this title of today's message is uh, Heavenly Minded and Earthly Not Bad. Remember our series was titled Heavenly Minded and Earthly Good. And you'll understand when we get about halfway through this passage why we titled this message Heavenly Minded and earthly not bad. Here's what Paul says to the church at Colossae. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have renewed or put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. This is God's word. And he begins with this exhortation to set your mind, set your hearts. In verse 1 and verse 2, set your hearts on the things above. Because we've been raised with Christ. That's the reason. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. And he's pointing back to chapter 2, verse 12, where he's talking about baptism. And he talks, when you come up out of the waters of baptism, you're raised to new life in Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead. He's pointing back to that. And he's pointing to the new reality, which we spent the last four weeks talking about and what's true about you. And this idea that if you are in Christ, you have an identity in him. And there are certain things that are true about you now that were not true about you before you came to Christ. So that is the new reality, that we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me in the life I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Since that is true, set your hearts. Set your hearts on the things above. Set your hearts where Christ is seated in the heavenly realms. That, that phrase that we translate Set your hearts. It really comes from one word in the original Greek language. It's zetiete. It means to seek, to pursue, or to investigate. And I really like that last uh, idea of investigating. That You know, when Paul talks about no longer being conformed to the image of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds and living our lives, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice so that we may test and approve his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's an investigating. We set our hearts into these things. We're all in for the kingdom of God. And we set our hearts to investigate and to find that he is reliable and trustworthy. We set our minds and we set our hearts on the things of excuse me, above, where Christ is seated at the heavenly realms. And I love that picture of Jesus seated. And it, it kind of goes over our head maybe, but it didn't go over a Jewish audience's head because the entire Old Testament, no one is seated in the presence of God. You're either on your knees, on your face before him, or you are standing at attention. But Jesus, Jesus being seated next to God at his right hand does two things. It establishes his honor and his his dignity, his equality with God, and it also represents the finished work of Christ. That when he said from the cross, it is finished, he went into heaven and is now seated next to God. His work is finished. We set our hearts there. We also set our minds there. It's a different word when we say it the second time. It's another single word that we translate into a phrase, and it's the Greek word phroniete, phroniete. And that is, that's, it's a type of thinking that combines the visceral or the emotional or the feeling type of thinking with the cognitive, logical type of thing. So it's kind of like when we talked about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. It's this, this inclination towards God with everything that we have, that we set our minds 
set our minds on the things of heaven. And the expanded definition of this that I found said it's where our personal opinions and belief begin to flesh themselves out in actions. That we set our minds in such a way that our emotions and our cognitive and our logic all combine towards changed behavior. That we are, we are changed because we have set our minds on the things of heaven. And that is exactly what we're talking about here. And a couple of weeks ago, I had a rope on stage, and I draped it over here. And you might remember this analogy. The rope went off stage, and the rope represented eternity. And if you were here, you know I painted or or taped one end of it black, which represents our lives in the scope of eternity. And we're saying the same thing, or Paul is saying the same thing today. Don't focus only on this little earthly existence and miss heaven, that we should be focused on heaven and making sure that we are prepared for heaven and we're taking as many people to heaven with us as possible, that we are heavenly minded and earthly good, heavenly minded and earthly good. Far too many of us are so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. So we set our hearts and minds on heaven in the first couple of verses, then verse three and four. I'm sure you understood this perfectly the first time you heard it. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Everybody got that one? You could explain that on television to a a listening audience. That's kind of a big idea, isn't it? You died. No, I'm actually still here. And your life is now hidden with Christ and God. What is that all about? And it gets a little clearer if you think when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And we have to understand that that you have a false self. You have a, 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 a flesh, a sinful nature that is a part of who you are. And that is what dies when we come to Christ. That is what is crucified with Christ. That false self, that that ego, that get more for me mentality that we have. That's what dies when we come to Christ. And that is what dies in verse 3. You died, and when your true life, your true self, the reality of who you are, the spiritual, the, the permanent, the soul of you, That is what is now hidden with Christ and God. That is what was always hidden within you in many ways. That that you were created in the image of a good and loving God. You were created in his image. And as the false self dies, that can then flourish to new life and can begin to control the way that we think, the way that we act, the things that we say, the things that we do. So there's a death that has taken place. There is a, a new life in Christ. In fact, it, it, this also points back to the end of chapter 1 when Paul uses this phrase that Christ in you is the hope of glory. That Christ in you is the hope of glory. That when we come to Christ, we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Christ, that he takes up residence in our lives. And he is the hope of glory that we have in our lives. Our personal false self, our ego, our sinful nature seeks our own glory apart from Christ. But Christ in us is the only hope we have for true and lasting glory. Then in verse 5, we we turn to the earthly not bad side of things. And Paul gives us some instruction. And there's a really important word that's the fourth word in that verse. It's the word therefore. Did you notice that? If If you're bold enough to write in your Bible, circle the therefore. If I haven't said this before, I'll say it many times in my ministry here. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, ask yourself, what's the therefore there for? What is the therefore there for? Why is it there? And you have to go back and you have to read what you just read to understand what the therefore is there for. The therefore in this case is building upon the foundation that Paul just laid in the first four verses. That Since we've been raised with Christ and we've set our minds on the heavenly realm and we've set our hearts on the heavenly realm, therefore, 
Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. It's a short list. There's bigger lists in Scripture. It's not like you go, go and find all the sin lists in the New Testament and put check marks by them and say, okay, this is the really bad one because it's listed three times. This one's only listed one time. It must not be as bad. No, all sin is sin. He's giving some examples. Maybe these were particular uh, setbacks or trip-ups for the Colossian church, and that's why he listed them here. But he starts with the more carnal or the more fleshly ones, and then... In verse 8, he moves to the more psychological or emotional, to anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. In verse 9, he says, don't lie to each other either. Those are some things that we really ought not to do. And the reason that we ought not to do them is that they feed the false self. They're all tools of the ego, of the get mine at the expense of others' self. And so he's saying, don't, don't do them because they feed the wrong part of you. They, they bring it back to life. They sort of revive it. When we do these things, they revive the ego. They revive the false self. Maybe you've heard the story of a little grandson who gets in trouble with his mom and dad, so he goes to granddad, right? How many of you parents have ever seen that play out? And he goes to granddad and says, you know, I didn't want to do that. Why do I do that thing that I don't want to do? And granddad says, well, you may not realize this, but there are two dogs at war within you. There's a good dog and a bad dog. And sometimes the good dog wins and sometimes the bad dog wins. The little boy thinks for a second, he says, well, which one wins the most, Grandpa? Grandpa says, well, the one you feed the most wins the most. And if you want the good dog to win, feed it. If you want the bad dog to lose, starve it to death. It'll get weak. And, and, and so I think that's why Paul is saying what he's saying. Be, earth, be heavenly minded. Be earthly, not bad. Don't do bad things. They feed the wrong part of you. They are initiated by the wrong part of you, and they feed the wrong part of you. And he starts with the heart and the mind because he knows it's the root of the action. He knows that your heart and your mind, where your heart is set, where your mind is set, that's going to initiate most of your behavior. And so he starts in verses 1 through 4 with where your heart and your mind are. And then he says, now, as a result of that, get rid of all this other junk. It doesn't have any part in your life. In fact, the Apostle John said it this way in John 5, 21, 1 John 5, 21, the letter. He says, dear children, keep away from anything that might take that might take God's place in your life. Keep away from it. Have nothing to do with it. Now, that's the New Living Translation. If you're looking at this in a New International Version, it just says, keep away from idols. But the New Living Translation expands that word idols to help us understand that idols are anything that would take God's place in our heart. And there may be idols in your life, and they may fit into one of the categories that Paul just mentioned here of sexual immorality or malice or slander or rage or any of those things. Whatever those are, those are things that take, place, take God's place in your heart. And John is saying, stay away from them. Stay away from them. They might fit into broader categories like stuff, like materialism or success and power and, and acclamation from others or, or just yourself, you know, Sometimes my biggest challenge is me, <laughs> and i got to get myself out of the way so that I can interact with God in a, in a real way. And the reason that we do this is because all of these, all of these sins that he just listed, they all have a negative impact on our relationship with him, and they all have a negative impact on our witness in the world. They, they hit both the heavenly-minded and the earthly good. That you, that you exist on two planes relationally. You have a vertical relationship plane with God. And you have horizontal relationships with the world around you. And we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So we want to protect our relationship with God. And we want to protect our witness 
in the world around us. It's very, very important. And it reminded me of the song just this morning as I was on my way in. I was thinking through the message and the song, maybe you sang it growing up, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full on His Wonderful Face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Isn't it true? That the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, one of my life verses is Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, fix your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, the things of the earth, the things of the world, I think that's how the song actually goes, the things of the world will grow strangely dim. But I found just the opposite to also be true. When we fix our hearts and our minds and our eyes on the things of this world, Jesus starts to grow strangely dim. And so we have to choose, and we have to make a volitional choice, and we have to have intention behind fixing our hearts and our minds, setting our hearts and our minds on the things above, where Christ is seated in the heavenly realms. And then verse 9, the second half of verse 9, after he tells us not to lie to each other, he tells us why. He says, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. He's basically saying, don't put a three-piece suit on over your filthy rags. Take them off. Take the old, the bad, the filthy off, and then put the new, the clean on. I like to go for a run, especially in the morning, in the summers, because it's awful hot by about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And so I go for a run in the morning, and I come in, and I get these faces. And they're not good faces, because at 95% humidity, you sweat. I don't care how cold it is. I don't care what the temperature is. You sweat. And it's almost like, you know, my, my, my family tells me I smell like a wet dog. And they don't say it like a clean wet dog. They say it like, you smell like a wet dog. Go take a shower. But it's like Paul's saying, don't put your three-piece suit on over your sweaty, stinky running clothes. It's going to stink through. You got to take that off. Get rid of it. Walk away from it. Leave it over there. Wash it. And then put on the new. In fact, verse 12, what we're going to be looking at next week. Verse 12 starts with... Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, put on. And he lists five virtues that we put on. So we'll talk about that next week. But this idea that we rid ourselves of the old and the filthy, and then we put on the new in the clean, is really, really important. And I think that he's turning a corner here, and he's starting to talk about pursuing integrity. Pursuing integrity of being. That we walk the talk. That the inside matches the outside and the outside matches the inside. That we are transformed from the inside out. Not that we're putting on a good facade, putting on a good show. But that what's happening inside us is bearing itself out in us. As we set our minds and our hearts on the things above. And so the goal then is to pursue that integrity. So that our lives are the same on social media as they are in person. Or vice versa, that we're the same in person as we are on social media. Or that we're the same on Friday night as we are on Sunday morning. That there's integrity in being. That word integrity actually comes from a Latin word that we get for integer. And if you remember math class, integer is a whole number. It's undivided. And we are to be undivided in our heavenly mindedness and our earthly goodness. And we're the same. We're the same at church as we are at home 
as we are at work in the marketplace. And that's actually a roadmap for the rest of our series. The next six verses that we'll look at next week talk about our church relationships and how we interact with each other as the body of Christ. So we'll look at being heavenly-minded and earthly good at church. And then we'll look at being heavenly-minded and earthly good at home in the next four verses. And finally, we'll finish up with how we're heavenly-minded and earthly good at work or out in the marketplace, in the world, where we rub shoulders with people who may be very far from God. And before we move on, and just a few things are coming up in the next seven days that speak to this idea of our relationships at church. We've got this Wednesday a membership class. And if you are not a member of the church and have ever considered being a member of the church, especially if you've taken a Next Steps class, we'd love for you to come to that on Wednesday night at 6.30. We're going to be in, in... inviting some new people to be members of Linwood. And if you have questions about that or you're interested in that or maybe you've dismissed it in the past, I would encourage you to come and and hear it again and uh, make a decision about whether or not you want to be committed to this family of families that we are creating. The other one is going to happen next Sunday, the other thing for our church family. And that's at 9.30, we'll be meeting in the prayer chapel. And uh, my dream of outgrowing the prayer chapel hasn't quite happened yet. So maybe next Sunday will be the day where so many people show up that we say, we're going to have to move this. We're going to have to move this into the gym or we're going to have to move this into a larger room so that well, there's enough room for all the people that have come to pray and to intercede for the needs of our church and our church family and the world around us. So that's a couple things that are coming up. I want to finish with verse 11. And I know that uh, we're running short on time. We're running a little long. I also know that the last two weeks we even finished before 60 minutes. So I put two minutes in the bank two weeks ago. I put six minutes in the bank last week. I'm going to use all of them and maybe withdraw a few minutes from next week um, because this is really important. When we get to verse 11, this is important word for us today, for us as a church, for us as a community of faith, for us as the body of Christ in the world. He says, and you may think, well, how does this really apply? I'm not picking it up. But he says, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. When was the last time you had an argument over whether somebody was a barbarian, a Scythian, or a slave or a free? But this still applies to us today. We don't get a buy on this one. Because as we embrace the new self, the true self, as we embrace what is true about us, holding in mind that it's also true about every person on earth, that they are God's beloved creation, and we start there and we just camp out on that idea. When we embrace what's true about us and our identity in Jesus Christ, that we are one with God, and therefore we are one with others who are one with God, then we find that there's no place for racism, there's no place for bigotry, there's no place for any of these things. And that's what Paul is speaking to in the Colossian church in this verse 11. He's speaking to racism and bigotry and towards these these judgments that we cast with each other. And he's not talking about uniformity or sameness. Go back and listen to the message from a family of families when he talked about being a united family of united families. That unity is not uniformity. It's not that we're all the same. It's not sameness. It's unity and likeness of mind and heart because we've all set our minds on the things above. And we've all set our hearts on the things above. And he speaks to this maybe even more clearly in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 27. I've got them on the screens. You can turn over there if you want to. Um, But this is an expansion of three or four verses, what he says in only one verse here. He says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's that image again of clothing ourselves with Christ. 
There is no, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The way we might translate verse 11 back in Colossians chapter 3 today, if we were to read it today, we would say, here... There is no black or white, there is no rich or poor, Republican, Democrat, East River or West River, for Christ is all and is in all. And we really have to start to embrace this, and it's challenging. Sometimes we were raised this way. Sometimes it's so ingrained in who we are that it takes a long time to break down those walls and to really embrace the idea that when we embrace our true identity in Christ— then our uniqueness in him, or maybe his uniqueness in us, is no longer threatened by the uniqueness of others. Here, our identity in Christ is so secure that we're no longer insecure or anxious or afraid. And racism becomes unthinkable. Or maligning and hating another group of people becomes impossible because we remember Christ's final command that we would love one another. If he had a bomb to drop, You would think he would have dropped it right there at the Last Supper. One new command I give to you. The last command that he gives in Scripture is that you would love one another. Because he knows the ground is level at the foot of the cross. He knows that there will be no such divisions in heaven. So why do we invest so much time and energy in them here? Here. In the true identity in Christ. There is no black or white, rich or poor, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, East River, West River. So what's the bottom line? Maybe you're asking. I get a lot of comments. People love the bottom lines. I like to write the bottom line down, think about the bottom line. What's the bottom line? Well, it's that we would be so heavenly-minded that we can't help but do earthly good. That's the bottom line. That's what we're after. That's what we want to pursue, is that you and I, we, Linwood Wesleyan Church, Christianity would be so heavenly-minded that we can't help but do earthly good. Now, Pastor Keith and I didn't talk about this, but he talked about the importance of being rather than doing. And on the slide, I emphasized be that who we are, that we have a core identity that is secure in Christ, and that's who we are. We're going to be so heavenly minded that we naturally do earthly good. Dallas Willard has said that it's not what you can roll up your sleeves and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do for Christ and how much effort you can expend for Christ that makes you a disciple. It's how easy it becomes to do the things that Christ has commanded you to do. That's the true measure of discipleship that you're so heavenly minded that it naturally flows out of it. And there are some practical ways that you can become more heavenly minded. You can read God's word every single day and ask him to show you how it applies to your life. I got a wonderful email from somebody this week that had heard me reference the SOAP journal, Scripture Observation Application Prayer. Start with a scripture, write out an observation about it, write out an application, how it applies to your life, and then a short prayer. And the transformation that she had experienced and the enjoyment that she was getting out of that simple exercise every day. I have a hunch that it's making her more heavenly minded. And I would have said she was already pretty heavenly minded. So that's something you can do. You can change your radio stations and put a Christian radio station on or change out the CDs in your car and get rid of the ones that maybe feed the anger and the rage and the malice and the sexual immorality and get new Christian music. Or you can do this with your smartphone. There's all kinds of ways that you can change the inputs because the inputs determine the outputs and keep putting the right things in and keep keeping your mind set 
on heaven. Because the goal of the new self, of the true self, is that integrity of person, that you would be who you are and whose you are wherever you are. That's the goal. That's heavenly-minded and earthly good, that you are who you are and whose you are, Jesus Christ's, wherever you may be. Don't forget who you are. You are a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. That's your new identity. Whose you are. You are raised with Christ and awaiting his return. And where you are, you are safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, which is never in trouble. So be who you are, whose you are, wherever you are, and to everyone that you meet. Be Jesus. Be love. Be real. Be authentic. The world is starving for an authentic representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. Set your hearts, set your minds on the things above. So much so that you can't help but do good to everyone around you. I want to read the first few verses and the last few verses of our passage today. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. For you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you that those these words were written down almost 2,000 years ago. They speak to us today. In some ways, they challenge us. In other ways, they encourage us. But we know that your desire is always to move us closer to yourself, closer to your will for our lives, that our thoughts would become your thoughts and our ways would become more like your ways. And so we pray, God, that a response to this would be one of faith, one of leaning in, one of asking you, is there anything that needs to go from my life in order to become more heavenly-minded and more earthly good? Is there anything that I need to build into my daily routine that would help me fix my eyes on Jesus? Is there any attitude or any posture or any stance that that has been revealed to to not be in line with who you are and your best hopes and dreams for me. Help us, God, to be a people that are so heavenly-minded that we can't help but do earthly good. It's in Jesus' name we pray.